Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. Before we get into what is surely going to be a scintillating discussion of a very fun game this week, uh, which is a great way to tee off the podcast, uh, I just want to remind all of our listeners to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify because someone associated with Tottenham Hotspur ought to be happy this week. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Now that's out of the way, let me introduce my co-host. Unfortunately, Ben couldn't be with us this week because he is attending a film festival consisting of nothing but Ethan Hawke DVD commentaries. So returning to us from his inspiring from his inspiring trip to London, where he laid the groundwork for either the next season of Hajigiri or Gangs of London, it's Brian Ashlock. Brian, did you manage to escape prosecution this weekend? Uh, yeah, no, I I totally avoided any run-ins with the uh, police or the um, I, I think they call them the old Bill over there. That's what I've been led to believe by Guy Ritchie movies. Um, and, um, so yeah, so I'm, I am scot-free. Is, was that your alias or did you just get away with it? Yeah, exactly. No, it was scot-free was my okay. alias. Um, and, uh, that, that's, that was a good joke. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And also joining us this week is a special guest from the Tottenham Depot podcast, but more importantly, a fellow Baltimorean, it's Andrew Stecka. Andrew! As you join us this week, I, I want to know which would you rather inflict on our listeners: a passionate defense of Lamar Jackson's uh, most recent season, or a debate about the best season of The Wire? Well, it's he's the MVP, so I mean, it, I mean, I know The Wire is a very MVP series as well, but Lamar Jackson is a two-time MVP, so that's a really easy defense to make. Much like the best season of The Wire, which is the second season, so no, know, it all, that's it all not lines true. Up, it all lines up. It's not the second season. It's just not. It is. It the is. The second because... and the fifth season don't exist. No, the second season is the best season because Andrew and I went to a lot of the bars that are in that season. So, or at least yeah, I were, did. There, were there any ducks there when you guys were there? No, no, just questionable Irish nationalist propaganda. Um, so, but that's and a lot of Matty Bo for some reason. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The best reason it's there to be drank. So, uh, Brian, um, you went to a game, not the game we're talking about this week, fortunately for you. But Thank why don't you tell us about your uh, trip to London and your um, visit to um, the new White Hart Lane? Uh, yeah. So this is my first time actually getting to see the new stadium. The last time I was there was the last season that they were playing in the partially constructed or deconstructed old White Hart Lane. Um, and we saw Can you go to Wembley. Match- yeah, we saw a, a Europa League match at okay, Wembley. That's right. Um, that uh, that we lost and got kicked out of the competition in. So that was super fun. 
Um, and then a match against Stoke City, which was also super fun. Um, so, you know, this time um, we went and saw Brighton. Um, we'll want to give a shout out to the folks from Columbus Spurs uh, in Columbus, Ohio, who helped uh, my lovely wife and I get tickets to the game, uh, even though I ended up uh, kind of screwing something up. And then we had to scramble to find a ticket. And it was a whole other thing. But that's that's more of a me problem than a them problem. So thanks to them for helping me out. Um, but yeah, it was it was great. We got pretty much the full Tottenham Hotspur experience. Um, I had in in our section, we were at the top of the stadium in the upper deck, and in our in our section there were so many like old British fans that you know the kind of people that get angry when you play it uh, short on goal kicks, like those people. And then there was a ton of uh, Korean fans. Or, or East Asian fans in that section as well. And I will tell you that the, the English fans were not happy about all of the quote-unquote tourists in their section. Um, the, especially the, uh, the gentleman in front of me who had some rather explicitly bad things to say in his text messages uh, about the people that were sitting around him. Um, but meanwhile, that man left in the 85th minute and missed the end of the game <laughs> while, while myself and the, the other, uh, the quote unquote tourists, we stuck around and got to see the best part of the fucking game. So who was really the asshole? Um, it's still, him. uh, but yeah, no, it was a great time. I think, you know, a, a February match against Brighton is probably not going to be like a really you don't go into it thinking you're going to see like an amazing finish or whatever. And it's not like this is going to be a super meaningful game for, uh, you know, our season as a whole or anything. But like just for me personally, in terms of like being at a live sporting event, like there are definitely only a few things that I've been at in my you know fandom that that kind of touched what that moment felt like in the stadium like my wife literally almost shoved me like down the rows of the stadium she was so excited oh, um, I, I thought it might be because she thought you were me and yeah well you know uh you know you're very fixated on that and <laughs> um uh it's it's not it's not her fault you're just a detestable person uh, um but yeah, like um, I, I literally like got my wife shoved me. I landed on a couple of the the nice uh, Korean guys that were next to me. They shoved me back. Like we were just all high fiving and screaming, and like it was it was such a great time. It was such a cool moment. Um, like I, I I like three four hours after the game, I was still like, oh my god, this was amazing. So you know, it was it was great. I really had a great time. Andrew, you've been to the new stadium, haven't you? I have, yeah. I went uh, last year for. We, I actually got to see two games there. Um, saw the. <laughs> it was last year. That might not have been a good thing. <laughs> well, I saw saw the, saw the Champions League exit against Milan, the the nil nil draw, uh, which was I thought going to be the end of Antonio Conte. Had to endure him for one more match after that. Went to see the Nottingham Forest game the Saturday after that uh, as well, which which was great, uh, a good result, and got to see a couple goals. Uh, unlike the the Wednesday midweek match, but. Um, yeah, I, I, Brian, like it's the, it's the same deal, man. Just being there for that kind of experience in that stadium, like I'm sure you saw it. I don't know if you got to take the tour or anything, but we did that whole thing too. Just getting to see that venue um, is it's I hate to be like so 
you know cheesy about it but it's breathtaking it's a it's an incredible yeah. venue uh to see to see an, an event in uh, much less a a spurs match it was it was really something and I mean, I know us as a as American sports fans, you know, we, we've got a ton of new and really nice sporting venues and kind of the, the places where we where we live. Um, you know, Greg is a native New Yorker, has Madison Square Garden, which is like, you know, a great arena. Um, and um, I think the Meadowlands, those are cool. Um, maybe. I don't know. Um, whatever it's called. Now, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but no, but but like. We're so we are we are used to these brand new flashy stadiums because every American sports team seems to be building them at at like an arms race type pace. And, you know, I I love going to to other places and seeing kind of older stadiums and experiencing the game in that way. Like we went to Lisbon last year and like the Lisbon Stadium is newer ish, but it's still just like it looks like an 80s NFL stadium, basically, where everything's concrete and the seats are plastic. And you're like, yeah, this is this is like the right kind of vibe. Um, and obviously, the, the new Spurs Stadium is not like that, but it's still like you said, it's just a magnificent place to watch a game. I mean, like I said, we were in the upper deck and. I was like, ah, wow, we're we might have problems like getting a real good view of of what's happening here, and that's not the case at all. Like, I I don't think there's a bad seat in that stadium, and all the amenities and everything are great. Like, you know, uh, I don't have a, a bad word to say about the place. I mean, I haven't been to the new stadium. I've, I've been, I went to White Hart Lane in 2011 and 2015, and I loved it. And I, I agree with you, Brian. There's something kind of great about going to an old stadium in any sport like in american sports it's great to go to in theory fenway and wrigley but really tiger stadium and other old stadiums um but you know there's a lot of personality and atmosphere there but i think you know we shouldn't take for granted how nice the new stadium is because you know i've been to the meadowlands in new york it's a dump it's not nice it's not a fun place to watch a game it's it's ugly it's claustrophobic it's like it is a waste of space and concrete and I think what the reason I'm saying all this is like we shouldn't take for granted what a good job, at least like from every Spurs, I haven't been, but from every Spurs fan I talked to who has been, you know, it, it sounds incredible, an incredible like venue to watch a game in. And I, I think the club probably doesn't get as much credit as they deserve because we all focus on things like the cheese room or the NFL collapsible pitch or whatever. But like just as a place to watch a game, like from the way you know, I hear about how the sound stays in and the views of the pitch and the atmosphere. I mean, you know, it sounds like a great place to watch a match. And I think that shouldn't be taken for granted. Well, well I'll tell you I, too, the, oh, sorry, go ahead, Brian. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that when we were there last year, I, I told you I went to two matches, the Champions League match. We actually, you know, we sprung a little bit. We actually paid for the club level seats and got the, the bougie experience, if you will. Um, and like you're, what you're talking about, Greg, with amenities, like it's, it's, it's top notch. Like you cannot, it was worth every penny despite it being a lot of pennies. Um, and then even for the other match, you know, we, we got the, the more, I guess, um, lesser than experience sitting in the, in the, in the lower bowl, which was really not lesser than, um, every, every, every spot in that stadium is, is worth it. Um, and no matter how much you're paying, you can, you can get the, the, like you said, the cheese room experience in the club level, um, which we did. 
And then you can get a great experience too out with the the fans and and you know in the South Stand and and everywhere else. So it's there's a wide array of of you know places to to watch in that stadium. And there are you know there's not a bad seat in the house. Yeah, and and I know we're not uh, we're we're not revealing anything groundbreaking, but you know like with these new stadiums, it's really easy for them to be just like soulless monstrosities of glass and metal, and you know like that's that's not what this stadium feels like at all um it doesn't you know it's 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 huge obviously and you see it as soon as you come into the area and it's just like it dominates the skyline but like everything about it is specifically designed to for the match going experience to actually be something that's enjoyable like you know we heard all the way through the design process about and and since it's been open obviously about like oh you know the sound here is designed it's the stadium carries the acoustics and directs it back in and da 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 i mean whatever just everything about it is great it's a great stadium to watch a football game in and if you're an american fan that hasn't been over there to see it uh you definitely got to go yeah and it's funny to hear you say that because i remember one of the things that really struck me about white hart lane when i went is like that place snuck up on you like you're just walking through the neighborhood and which makes sense that's how they were built it was part of a city block it's how for our american listeners it's like how fenway is if you go to boston or even wrigley if you go to chicago i mean that's how these stadiums even in england you know they apportioned a city block to this team to build your stadium in but it's just you know that sounds so different but it also sounds like they've really nailed it and you look at i mean who knows how it's going to age um but you know you look at the emirates for instance which isn't a disaster of a stadium but like certainly it feels like they've missed a trick or two in terms of how that stadium was built how it sort of carries the atmosphere i mean i know arsenal fans are quiet by their nature but you know like it it not it online feels <laughs> Well, they're too busy voting in online polls to cheer during the match, but or retweeting um, images about how Bakayo Saka is better than Gareth Bale. <laughs> exactly, um, but you know, it, it it certainly seems like Tottenham have built something that really stands up to, um, I don't know, is going to stand up to the rigors of time, which is nice to hear. Um, did you did you get to go to the cheese room, Brian? Uh, no, I did not get to go to the cheese room. Um, you know, look, uh, it's just not not one of the activities that I was interested in. And and besides, the rooms that were most important to the activities I were interested in were like the, the men's bathrooms. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Okay. So, you know, it was uh, I had a great time. I had a wonderful time. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I hope to get there eventually. And God willing, I will finally go to I, I, I guess I've seen three games in London and two of them again, been against West Ham. So I just, the other was a Fiorentina game in the Europa League. I really just, whenever I go back, I do not need to see West Ham at all. You know, um, not, not fun, not enjoyable. Um, either time I went. So hopefully I won't do that next time I go, but I am looking forward to getting there when I get there. Unfortunately, we have gotten to the point in the podcast where we have to talk about our game against Wolves. Um, not great. Um, uh, not what you want to see. Uh, Brian, um, where are you on the panic meter with Spurs right now after, after this Wolves match? Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not anywhere on the panic meter at all. Like I don't, you know, I think the way this season has played out, like there, we should not be panicking about anything like, especially because what it feels like this game was a product of was just our two first choice fullbacks are out. 
And the backups, while they are okay and serviceable Premier League players in a pinch, um, you can't play them both at the same time. Uh, and I think that's, you know, something we already knew, but that was definitely just reinforced in this game. And then you've got guys that are, you know, still not quite up to speed uh, in terms of where we'd like them to be in, in you know, Madison and Basuma and, um, you know, uh, so I, I'm not I'm not worried about this. Like, obviously, we've had, what, two pretty shitty results against Wolves this year. Um, that doesn't feel good. Um, but I, I feel like they're. For for some reason, the last like three or four years, I felt like they're kind of a bogey team for us. Like even even before we hired Nuno, I kind of felt like for whatever reason, they seem to get one over on us and get some undeserving points. Like I think they've done the double over us in like at least two of the last three seasons. Sure. shit feels that way. (laughs) So, you know, I that's not that doesn't excuse the performance or anything, but I'm also just like not that concerned about it. I feel like just on balance where we're at right now with finally getting these some players back, working these guys back to to full health, um, you know, that March, April and May are going to be, you know, we're going to see the the team that we saw at the beginning of the season again. And so if we're having some bumps right now while we're still trying to sort stuff out with injuries and illness and unavailability. Like, fine, whatever. Andrew, uh, Brian sort of just alluded to it there, but I think one of the things that's, I think I honestly gone a little undercommented on about our sort of recent run of form is the fact that Spurs have a pretty healthy number of starters or at least key players coming back from injury. And I think, you know, Ben and I talked on the podcast last week a little bit about Madison in terms of like, or, or no, Bentecourt. We were talking about Bentecourt. I apologize. Um, about like, okay, well, do these guys need to play their way out of it, or do they need to, you know, do they just need rest to sort of recover more? But how how are you feeling about how that's affecting our team right now in terms of all these guys sort of you know coming off long layoffs and all trying to sort of find the right gear at the same time? Well, I think it's the story of the season, really. I mean, you look at that last last Wolves match, that was the first match after the Chelsea match where everything went wrong. So we did we weren't at full strength against them last time. We weren't at full strength against them this time. I think that has a lot to do with why they've done the double over us. Um, you know, when you talk about players like Madison, Benton Kerr, um, even Basuma coming back from you know, about with malaria after going away to to the African Cup of Nations, like all of these guys are coming back from something. Um, there's there's a number of other names in there that I didn't even mention that are coming back from whether it's injury, a layoff, um, illness, something. So you know, going into this match, you know, I did a preview with a with a Wolves pod last week and told them, you know, I'm excited about getting back to full strength against them and seeing what we look like after the last match. Well, it turns out we weren't at full strength. This was before (laughs) the knowledge that, that both Poro and Adogi were going to be out. So um, I, to me, when you look at this match, you know, in a, in a micro sense, that was the story of it. You're missing your two fullbacks who are so integral to how Ange wants to play. He wants the inverted fullbacks to essentially serve as midfielders, as extra midfielders. Um, And when you're not able to do that because you're playing Emerson Royale and Ben Davis instead of Destiny Adogi and Pedro Poro, that makes a massive difference. Um, when it comes to, you know, players like Madison and Bentancur, you're talking about like having them play through it. I don't know. I was really happy to see Bentancur on the bench for this game and not starting. I felt like 
that's a guy, especially if you want to talk about coming back from injury, like I don't, I don't think we appreciate how quickly he came back from not only his first injury, but then the re-injury. Um, and I think these guys just need to, yes, play their way through it, but play their way through it in a sensible way and not, I know we're only playing one match a week because there's no cups or Europe or anything, but that's still a lot to put on these guys as we go through an entire Premier League season. So I'm I'm okay with the fact that these guys aren't quite up to full strength, but I feel like with either Udogi or Poro available in this match, it could be a different story. And that's obviously that's an unknown and that's a woulda, coulda, shoulda, but that is honestly how I feel about it. Well, there's also, I mean, I, I know it's more complicated and broad than this, but, you know, when you talk about Tottenham's defensive struggles, like, I feel like a lot of it comes down to, like, Ange's system really relies on a good six. Um, you know, someone at the base of the midfield kind of providing a layer of protection there. And, you know, part of why we started the season off so well is, like, Basuma was in the form of his life. And, you know, we sort of made do, because I think Hoiberg is a steadier hand than maybe he gets credit for sometimes, but we've made do there. But, like, you know, like, Part of the reason, not the entire reason, but like, you know, the bad giveaway that led to Wolves' second goal was like on Basuma in this match. And, you know, he, I think, also on that play didn't do a good enough job tracking back to defend in the box. And, you know, I think injuries to that position in particular have really harmed us. And I think, like, to me at least, if you're looking for a big difference between our early season form and where our form is now, like, I would sort of point to that. If I had to pick, like, a single position as opposed to, you know, just gesturing broadly or at our starting 11. Yeah, I I think, you know, getting back to the the where we were at the start of the season is is going to take more time than this. Um, you know, I I think we're all very eager for that to happen, right? And for for us to see the th- the form that got us, you know, whatever nine wins in the first a uh, few matches or whatever, um, or unbeaten through the first however many nine games or whatever it was, um, and I don't know, I, I it just hasn't happened soon as soon as we all would have liked, right? And you know, even though kind of nominally we've had you know, mostly our first choice guys back. I mean, the, the Brighton game, we had uh, pretty much everyone that uh, that you would want back for that game. Um, and then, you know, this game, unfortunately, we get the news that, that uh, Poro and your doggy can't play. And you're just like, oh, same shit. Uh, here we go. So, um, you know, whatever. I It's, it's a frustrating result. Um, but I think, you know, big picture it's all working in the same direction. And, and, and like Andrew said, you know, we're, we could probably stomach one of these guys having to play major minutes in this game. And it probably would have gotten out with at least some semblance of being able to execute the tactical plan, being able to get the result, but having, having to carry both of them makes it so much more difficult. Uh, I want to, I feel like there's been a lot of doom and gloom here. So I want to liven the conversation (laughs) up a little bit. Um, No, we're not doing it. Uh, well, we do have a reputation to maintain. Um, I One of my biggest takeaways from this match, and I am not as high on him. I know Ben is much higher on him than I am, but watching this match, like one of my big takeaways beyond God fucking damn it was, boy, Pedro Net- Neto sure does, like, he is exactly what I think this team needs right now. Like, he can take on a man. He can open up a defense. Like, I just... 
all I could think about, because I had a I had a very long drive to a children's birthday party after this match, and like the whole time I was like, we would have won this match if we had Pedro Neto on our in our starting eleven. Like if we if he was if he was in our team, like he really a guy who can take a man on and just unlock a defense like that. He really feels like what we're missing right now. And I'm not. I mean, I think you could like either bench Kulishevsky or move Sun around or whatever. But God, I feel like if you had a guy like him in there, he would just solve so many of our problems. Well, I would say keep eyes peeled for the summer when it comes to Pedro Neto. That's the, I think that's going to be a hardcore target. I really do. Um, but aside from that, I mean, we've we've heard a lot of talk about dribbly winger, dribbly winger, get us a dribbly winger. And I feel like there are enough pieces on this team, both in midfield and attack, that they should be able to produce more than they are producing. Um, I, I think that the, the frustrating part for me is still the, the, I mean, you talked about, and I, I know you wanted to move away from doom and gloom, but the two goals that were given up in this game were so frustrating for so many different reasons. The first one just being a, a defensive set piece lapse, which I felt like I felt like I had reverted back three years watching this team. And, and the second one, you mentioned Basuma, but again, you want to bring up the, the absence of the fullbacks. If you go back and watch that second goal too, Emerson takes such a terrible line back to try and defend that ball. And I feel like we've seen both Destiny Adogi and Pedro Poro be able to defend that better. So it starts from the back for me. And I agree with you with what you're saying. Like Neto would make a massive difference, but should we be expecting more from, you mentioned it, Kulisevsky, Madison still playing his way yes. back in. Like there are a lot of pieces that that are still trying to get their footing. And there, I, I think the thing I like about the way that this squad is set up right now is that there are at least many options in attack and midfield. Whereas defensively, there are just no other options than the four players we like playing in the back line. I actually think the pun tree, both generally about English soccer and with the Spurs here, is focusing on the wrong thing. Because um, I think, uh, I really do think that the problem that Spurs have right now, I, bigger than defense, is just we're not scoring enough goals. And I think, you know, this is a team that does a great job in build up. I think it gets overlooked, honestly, because we don't score as many goals as we should. But like, if we were a little bit more clinical, and I think we're all a little spoiled because we lived with like the best striker in Europe for the last, like, decade or whatever the hell it was but you know if we were putting a few more chances away even in this match where we weren't creating a ton of chances like i mean that keeper kept a really good shot by kulishevsky out with his fingertips i mean you know if we just put a few better chances on net you know i don't think our defensive breakdowns are as big an issue or the defensive breakdowns might not even happen because we come out of these halves like a house of fire we actually are pretty productive and like you know in the 15 minutes or whatever it is after halftime um, and I don't know why that is. I, I would presume it's because we can set the tempo and we're not as beholden to the other team. But like, I don't know if we were just we, we, we seem to create semi dangerous situations and there's not that sort of final. You know, like thing getting us over the line, I feel like early in the season, in addition to just a lot going our way, Madison was doing a lot of that. I feel like Madison was providing a lot of that threat, either through assists or actual shots, And it's just. You know, I don't think he's been useless, but he's just not as he's not doing what he was doing in, you know, September and October right now. And I don't know. That's where it's like I look at a guy like Pedro Neto and I'm like, oh, God, like he would just like fix so much of what is stymieing our attack right now because he can 
you know, dribbly winger. He can take on a guy. Like, so when everything else breaks down, he can just take his man on and try to get through. Cause I think, I think it's the attack more than defense is a problem right now. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, the problem that we had in this game is a problem that we've had all season and is a problem that we've had like for the last decade is how do we break down a set defense? And, you know, when teams are going to play five across the back and they're going to pack it in and put 10 men behind the ball, like we really seem to run out of ideas really quickly. And I think especially because the system that Ange plays with the personnel that we have right now is very narrow. And and so we're not using, you know, the entire width of the pitch in the same way that, you know, other other possession oriented clubs like a city or a Liverpool or whatever are using the full width of the pitch to stretch the opposition. We don't switch the ball quickly from side to side. We don't have um, with the exception of Madison, we don't have someone playing, you know, uh, you know, cross field balls or really incisive through balls in those situations. And and like you you said, uh, the the dribbly winger at least gives you opportunities in those moments to put somebody out on the touchline, let a fullback come out to him, and then let that guy just beat that man. Whether he beats him, you know, over the top to get into the box, or he beats him around behind to get to the end line and play a cross in, just having someone with the ability to beat a man just opens up so many different options in attack for you. Because now you're, with the dribble, you're taking out two or three defenders that were covering just space before like that. Like we talk about Musa Dembele and, you know, our great quest to replace him or whatever. Um, and, and it wasn't that Musa Dembele was, was just press resistant or that he was just graceful on the ball, but it was like when he chose to carry the ball forward on the dribble, he did it and took three defenders just completely out of the play. Like, he spun one guy, dipped a shoulder past another, and then glided past a third. And then all of a sudden, it was open space and free runners going in behind because other people were having to step to him and were having to adjust their positioning. We don't have that right now. And we haven't had that, you know, since Dembele's leg fell off. Um, and... I don't know if it's if it's going to be someone like Neto or if it's going to be a midfielder that's that's more comfortable carrying the ball, you know, in that in that position that Sar is playing, like someone like a, a Gallagher or or some of the other guys that uh, we've been linked with in that eight position. But we just need it. It has to, there there has to be some sort of ability to beat a man on this team, and and there's just not not any guys that do that sort of thing. Well, I think the other thing that we saw specifically in this match, too, is that the type of play that you're talking about, Brian, is what we see a lot out of both Adogi and Poro at times, getting up into that attack, creating those spaces for either Kulisevsky or Sun to do work out wide. And they're playing in that more, you know, I, I know they're fullbacks, but they're playing in more of a midfield role when they're able to get up into the attack. And that's missing when you have Davis and Royal playing instead. Because those guys just, I mean, Ben Davis can get himself into some decent positions. And obviously he got himself into an outstanding position late in this match and spoiled the header. But those guys get into positions like 
nobody's business. I mean, those guys can, can provide a lot of what you're talking about from a different position. It's just, it's a matter of personnel with this team. And I don't disagree with anything you guys are saying about the need for a dribbly winger, but we've also seen, we've seen a little bit more out of Kulisevsky in that role too of late. Like we, we did see him score a brilliant goal in this game by beating a few guys. Um, we've seen it. We saw him get into the box and put in a, good, a couple of good crosses, a couple of really dangerous balls, something we haven't really seen a lot out of from him in the last few months. So I think there, there is ability. It's not like there's no one on this team that can do what you guys are talking about. We've just seen it from a less, less consistent place in, in the last few games because not all the pieces are there that have been working, you know, when, when this team was really successful early in the year. Yeah. And I do absolutely. think it's, I do think it's worth pointing out. Like there was a lot of talk after the Brighton game um, that, you know, like, Oh, well, Spurs were lucky to not lose this game. Cause it could have gone the other way. I feel like maybe not to the same extent, but this Wolves game was kind of similar. Like, I mean, Wolves was really under the cosh for about like five to six minutes before they scored their second goal in a way that, like, you would have bet, I think, five minutes before that goal, like, okay, Spurs are going to win this, like, because we're really putting pressure on their goal and all this other stuff. And, you know, I think there's all these issues, but at the same time, like, Spurs are a talented team with a lot of pieces that are misfiring right now. And like you said, like, we're missing both of these, um, our fullbacks. And I think Ben Davies is, you know, he's certainly a very limited asset but I think he does have some value, but yeah, it becomes a lot more of a problem when Pedro Poro is out too. And you've got to put Emerson on the other side of the pitch, you know, having both of them out causes significantly more problems. But I think that's something I look at with this team that, you know, I've seen some other people talking about this week where it's like, Ange kind of has a good first 11, you know, which obviously could be upgraded, but you know, it's, it's when you start getting into the replacement options where it's like, he really doesn't have a squad sort of fit to what he wants to do. Cause you know, I mean, God, I feel like we've said this about Emerson. You guys said it tonight, and we've said about Emerson with every fucking coach he's had at Spurs, except for maybe Nuno. But, you know, he's just not suited to what these guys want to do. And, you know, it's a problem. And, you know, I don't think you're ever going to have ideal backups in some of these positions. But, like, I think there's something to be said for – I think one of the sort of really underrated moves that Spurs ever did was when we went out and got Kieran Trippier, who we all got very mad at for long periods of time. But they went and spent – you know, more money than they probably needed to on a better backup than they probably needed because they realized that, you know, they didn't want the drop off to be quite so severe if Kyle Walker couldn't play in a match. And, you know, it paid dividends for this team, um, you know, both when Kyle Walker left and while Kyle Walker was here. And, you know, I think Spurs really, in addition to what else they need to do this offseason in terms of like first team back, like what they need to do to improve the first team or the first starting 11, rather. I think they need to go get at least in the fullback position, like a backup who is really better than what you think of a backup as being, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is a season that's about squad building and rebuilding. And, you know, I think we, we've talked about it on our podcast. I'm sure Andrew, you and you guys have talked about it on your show. Like, I'm just really pleased that we're in the position we're in, you know, uh, at, to, at all at this season. Like I, I would probably would have been happy with like sixth or seventh and we looked good in patches. You know, um, I certainly wasn't expecting us to bank all the points that we did and have some of the impressive wins that we did and, 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 and be in a position now where not only are we 
do I feel pretty safe about our European qualification chances? Um, we're, we're might be pretty safe in terms of Champions League qualification, depending on how the next couple months go. Um, so I, you know, you, you are much more confident betting against United getting away with it than I am. Cause like, I know they <laughs> suck and they've sucked for years, but like, like I was brought up on years of watching United get away with larceny. So. Yeah, I just I just feel like uh, just Ten ha- Ten Hag does not have the uh, the cachet with uh, PGMOL that uh, um, you know Sir Alex did. So so maybe United United have had some big ass frauds like fumble their way to second place like for a couple of years. So That's like true. I just I'm just saying. No, I, I I understand. I just think you know look. The the f- for me uh, and and we have to do a podcast every week about uh we don't have to we choose to do this podcast every week and so we have to talk about the minutia of these individual games and otherwise it'd just be we'd say the same thing every week for thirty eight weeks and then we'd be like why did we even do this um but you know I am not that bothered by the particular failures or the particular um single game injury issues that that led to this particular outcome i think overall like all i've been looking for this season is like common direction buy-in from the squad like understanding of the way we want to play football and the and and how it should look and we've seen that in spades and so like yeah, okay, some individual errors led to a goal, and Basuma doesn't try hard enough to track back. Like Andrew said, Emerson takes a really shitty angle to cut off, uh, you know, the, the the attack. Like, whatever. The set-piece defending continues to be a weird issue. Um, but, like, otherwise, we had the ball, like, 80% of this game. Like, you know, we whatever it was, 72 to 28% possession. And... and you know, the not getting more out of the attack in this game, I think, is is like the weirder aspect of it. Like we're just not doing things with the ball in some of these games, especially in first halves. Like in second halves, like you said, Greg, like we come out like a house on fire and it's like, oh, great. Like and yelled at them at halftime. Like, why are we so bad in the first half? We shouldn't need to be yelled at to remember that you guys have to play football. Um, and so like in the microcosm of like the one game, like, yeah, this performance was like not great, but I'm not, that does it doesn't change my outlook on, on any of this. Well, and I think there's something to be said too, for the specific areas of this team where the depth was tested. Like when you talk about this game specifically, the options to replace both Poro and Adogi are not fit for the system no other place in the team is there other than maybe goalkeeper well other than definitely goalkeeper is there such a drop-off i mean there's a massive drop-off there and at the fullbacks and everywhere else at least now that that dragashin is in and even when when both romero and van de ven were were out for periods of time we kind of patched it together okay there uh, with with Davis and, you know, hell, Emerson was playing right center back at times like it, it got pieced together enough. I mean, take a take a look at when Sonny was missing at the Asian Cup. Richarlison went and scored like 
eight goals in nine games or something through a stretch. And now was Richarlison good in this game specifically? No, he wasn't. But he also just went through a stretch where he kind of carried us goal scoring wise while Sonny was away. So like there are there are pieces to pick up the slack in pretty much every other part of the team other than these two places where we were missing guys. And that's what makes it tough. And that's like you said, Brian, like squad building is the name of the game for this season. And you've got to get through it. And they've done a good job of adding pieces. You know, they added pieces this January, which I think were not only early in January, but unexpected that they came so early and, and, and you know, came through so well. Um, I, I think they're, they're doing a good job of building out the squad. It's just they're not quite there yet. And that's gonna, going to end up being the story of this season, I think, is not quite there yet, whether or not they do make Champions League or not. And it's, I think it's worth pointing out that Spurs clearly were willing to roll the dice on what their squad depth looked like in the back line. Like they, I mean, you know, we're sort of seeing it in this match with fullback, but we saw it for like six weeks or whatever the fuck it was um, with our center backs. Like they were, they, 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 they clearly made a decision like we are going to be less than, um, you know, in this position for the time being. And I think that was, even though like our starters were getting healthy at the beginning of January, like. I think you could see how short we left ourselves there by, you know, they, they were very motivated to get something done in the center back position as quickly as possible in January. Um, you know, I think like, like you guys said, there's, there's depth to be made in the back line, but it, as much as like, I think the offense is a concern for us right now, you know, we talked a lot about dribbly winger, but like I really do feel like the offense is like a guy away from being like, I don't want to say totally fixed, but like, you know, you get someone in there who can make those passes and do those things, take on that man. And it's like, everything else is going to click. So we do so much else well in terms of our build up and maintaining possession and all this other stuff. And it's, you know, it's just, it's, 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 there's a lot to be positive about here, which I think transitions us to another discussion that I've seen a lot among Spurs fans, which is like, have we been too positive about Ange? And I'm, I'm using the general we as Spurs fans there. Um, I think that's an interesting conversation um, because, you know, I think Spurs fans have cottoned to Ange very quickly. Um, you know, I think, and including ourselves, we've all been very happy. We all needed uh, a bit of a, a therapist in addition to a good coach after the last few years. Um, I, I think this is a really interesting discussion because I think this really betrays, I think all of us, Certainly on Wheel of Dealer Radio, if we're not like stats guys, we're friends with and read a lot of stats guys. And I think this betrays a certain, in that community, there's a certain, like, a certain need to know what the end of the story looks like. And there's a lot of like trying to sort of read things into these stats to like sort of get things ahead. And I know that's like something that all levels of sports fandom do to some degree, but I feel like you see this in particular with, um, you know, this sort of type of fan, which I think if we're not, if we are not that type of fan, we are certainly adjacent to that type of fan on this podcast, you know, where it's like, okay, well, like, you know, it's like, we're getting ourselves really excited about a guy like Doku or Nusa or something, you know, these really young people, because we're trying to project them out to what they're going to be. And I think we did a lot of that with Ange and, um, you know, both while he was at Celtic and now that he's at Spurs. And I think there's just this sort of like, need to see that final result, need to see that final product that, you know, can overshadow the fact that, you know, you want to go look at like Klopp's early years at Liverpool or Arteta's early years at Arsenal um, or, um, you know, I, I'm forgetting, you know, 
I'm probably, I, I know I'm forgetting. Or Pochino's early years at Spurs. Um, you know, or his and, current year at Chelsea, I guess. You could watch that too. Yeah, uh, you know, that's clearly a sign of decline and decay, but, you know, we, yeah. could, we could talk about it like it isn't. No, but I think that, but that's, I think, which goes to sort of what I'm saying is like, you want to know, like, oh, well, is this, is this like growing pains or is this guy a fraud? Yeah. And I think, you know, because Spurs are going through some growing pains right now, there's a lot of people talking about our team, like, you know, worrying about Ange, like, oh, do we buy too in too much too soon? And I don't know, like, it, it's very tricky in terms of looking at where we are as a team and projecting things out. But I don't know, Andrew, I'll start with you. But how are you feeling about Ange after this sort of recent, you know, we haven't, I want to say Newcastle's maybe the last game where we really whipped the team's ass from start to finish. Um, it's been a while since we've had a, what I guess you might call a complete game, which I don't think is an indictment of Ange, but it has been a while since we've had one of those. How are you feeling about Ange, um, given all the, the extremely long setup I just gave you? I mean, I'm personally fine with Ange. I do think that there's a, there's a question of, um, what's the word here? I guess practicality that, that, that I am starting to look at a little bit with Ange in terms of, if you are limited in what you can throw out on the pitch and, and look, we're going to, we're, we're kind of speaking around the game that we just saw, but like, if you can, if you can only throw those two fullbacks that you had available to you out on the pitch and you don't really have a backup option, do you have to do something a little bit differently? I know that we all got really excited after the debacle that was the Chelsea match and going down to, to nine men and, you know, saying like, we're going to have a crack at it. And sure, we always want to go have a crack at it. But like, do you have to adapt a little bit? Do you have to change a little bit of what you do if you don't have the exact personnel that you want to have on the field at a given time? And I, I, I'm kind of 50-50 on that because I, I do like the, the mindset of go for it. That's, that kind of speaks to the ethos of what Tottenham Hotspur football has always been about, at least until the last couple of years where we saw it not be about that under different managers. But he's brought that feeling back and that spirit back. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with being excited about that mindset and and wanting to go for it and to dare is to do and all of that, that jazz. But there is something to be said for, hmm, do we need to tweak a little something? Do, do, can, we, can we turn the dials a little bit to, to make sure that we're not leaving Emerson Royale and Ben Davis exposed uh, to, to try to do a job that they're not actually capable of doing. Um, I think there is something to be said for, you know, just turning those levers a little bit and figuring out, you know, he, he, he did it after the Chelsea match. He figured it out eventually. It took him a couple of matches, but he figured out that, yeah, we can play Davis at left center back and we can play Emerson at right center back or hell, God forbid, Eric Dyer was playing games at that point for a little bit there. Like you can figure out how to, how to do a job, how to get a job done with the less than parts, less than that starting 11 that is, you know, there, um, in this match, I kind of would have expected and liked to have seen a little bit more of that. But in the grand scheme of things, the fact that I saw a lot of Ange out type of stuff on the internet was just baffling to me because that's the same kind of mindset that I feel like not only this team, but this fan base, all this, these supporters went through over the last few years where the first sign of trouble was let's, let's toss this one out and find a new one. Like that's not how it should work. It's sh- this, this should have always been coming into this, the thought of a two to three year plan at the very least 
and kind of reassess the the squad building that that has to under this team has had to undergo really since Pochettino left is really just now starting. I feel like people don't like appreciate or recognize that what we were doing over the last few seasons with the last few managers was not any kind of a rebuild. That wasn't that was a continuation of what we were trying to do under Pochettino and trying to win something. Now we're actually doing the rebuild. So they fans have to let that happen. They have to let the rebuild actually like grow roots and try to, to, to sprout something rather than just throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, I, I just don't see how you can have sat through the post-Pochettino era and then now be so ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, I, I just do not understand it. And look, I, I, I disagree with Andrew a little bit in that, like, fuck practicality. Like, let's just fucking go. Um, but... I understand the point that you're making. Like I, you know, I certainly, I certainly understand that like, yeah, you know what, man, sometimes maybe we shouldn't be just, you know, full metal, you know, attack. Like, let's just fucking go. Like, I get it. Some, we, we don't want to do that all the time. I disagree. I think we should do it all the time. It's fun that way. But like, I get it. My point ultimately though is, is just like, the 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 last few years really really tried all of our fandoms like and, and some of you that are listening most of you probably don't have your own podcast i can't tell you how fucking hard it was to watch a jose Mourinho game and then have to try to sit here and talk about something interesting for an hour same thing with the uh, with christian stellini both times Ryan Mason managed. There was that time that Nuno was in charge. Do any of you even fucking remember that? You- Nuno was in charge. Like, and, and now we're going to sit here and be like, I don't know. He should be more practical. Fuck off. Like, <laughs> we, we've done that. We did that. Uh, and again, I'm not, this is not directed at you, Andrew. I apologize. You're a guest on our show and I'm coming here and being like, no, fuck you and your opinions. Um, th- but uh, what I mean is, is like, one game where or or two, even two or three games where we have this like pseudo perceived failure to play the game practically or pragmatically or practically whatever the adjective we want to use is that's not a Ange is a fraud get him out of my club sort of level that we need to get to like like that no, nothing that we've seen over the last month even rises to the level of where I go, Jesus Christ, the these guys won't play for him. This is the most boring football I've ever seen. He's got to go. It's like what we're talking about is like we haven't figured out how to defend corner kicks. And like, all right, yeah, that's really fucking stupid. And especially if we have guys on the team who are or guys on the coaching staff that are nominally responsive uh, responsible for that. That is really dumb. But that doesn't make this whole the rebuilding thing, the decision to hire Ange, like we don't we don't need to revisit that and feel bad about that. Like like enjoy it. Like we we all do you remember how we felt at the beginning of the season when New Dad came in and we're like first we were skeptical because we're like, oh New Dad's from Scot uh, you know, came from Scotland, he is Australian. I don't know how we feel about that. And then he just talks to the media in that first press conference. And you're all like, I will go to the wall for him. 
And like, so, so like what, like three middling performances in January and February. And now we're like, oh, this is horrible. He can't, he can't hack it. It's like, come on, guys. Like, let's see where we're at in, you know, a year. Let's see where we're at in six, eight months. Like, like. First of all, I want to thank Brian for pointing out that if you were a Spurs podcaster for the last four years, you are, in fact, God's strongest soldier. Um, Absolutely. You know, taking taking his most difficult challenges and meeting them head on. And I I, I think I had this conversation earlier in the year with you guys when um, we had some kind of dreadful game. I can't remember which game it was, but I was like, this is like probably the Chelsea game, honestly. Honestly, no, because that was just weird. But like, there was some game like this, but maybe a little bit better. But I was, I just remember thinking, like, with the exception of like that's six months under Conte or whatever, this is like more entertaining than like the best game we had under Nuno, Ryan Mason twice, Kristen Stellini, like, you know, certainly Mourinho. And, you know, it's just like, I don't know. Like, there is a, like, I'm not at the point where like, I, and just squandered the goodwill he has built with me. Cause like, you know, it's just like, it is, it, it is an improvement and it is easier to watch. And it, it does mean I don't have to like threaten other co-hosts, family members to get them to record a podcast. Every week. So it's like, you know, but it, I, I don't know. Cause there, there's that thing that you balance on the one hand, I want Spurs to keep playing cocaine football because it's fun to watch and it keeps Brian's family fed. But on the other hand, um, you know, there is that point where I'm watching this Wolves game and it's like, man, I don't know if you should play exactly the same way if you're going to have to roll out Emerson Royale and Ben Davies as your fullbacks. And that's what I think, like, if I was to say where Ange needs to grow, I don't think he needs to compromise his ideals. I do think if you have to make substitutions that large, you might need to like there are games where you don't need to keep fucking that chicken is is what I would say. But I well, wouldn't have said that a month ago, so who knows? That's kind of what I'm saying too. Brian, by no means am I saying low block and counter. Like that's that's not where I'm at at all. Trust me. Like I, I, I know, I, I know. I'm just you, you gave me the opening and I'm like, oh I'm gonna I did. blow his and I'm, position and I'm, out of proportion. I'm, I'm glad you took it because the 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 word pragmatic or pragmatism like that's what I saw on the internet all weekend was and let's be honest we know who that was coming from it's coming from these old fogies who you know just are used to watching this team for the last fifty years and just don't want they don't want go 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 they they want to see you know some tactics some results and fine but 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 also fuck all of that like I, I want to see what you want to see. Trust me. I want to see them go, go, go. But I also don't want to see Emerson Royale and Ben Davis have to go, 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 because I know they can't go, go, go. They, they can only go one speed, um, maybe two speeds, but they can't go. They, they are not, they don't have the transmission that, that guys like Poro and Adogi have. Um, and let's be honest, <laughs> I'm going to guess part of the reason that both these guys have picked up injuries is because they've been playing every fucking minute of the season. Like there's, th- we have to like recognize that too. And the, the idea that the, we've been talking about squad building and needing to, to, to build out the entire roster and not just have an 11, but frankly have like a, a, a 22, like that's where that comes. And, that's, and it's, it's clear and evident. And sure, it would be nice if, if Ange would recognize that too, but I also don't think he's going to, and I'm fine with that. Like he, he's going he's gonna to play these guys 
where they need to be played and they're going to play his system. Um, and he's also not going to be an asshole about it. Like the last two guys were like, he's not going to, he's not going to sit and say, well, you know, obviously uh, Royal and Davis can't play on this team. Cause they, I sent him out there and they didn't do exactly what those other guys did. But I would like to see at least when, when I'm talking about those dials, it's like, it's not turning it one way or the other. It's just adjusting a little bit and finding finding out where you can, you know, have other guys row the boat a little bit for them. Like, and honestly, I don't know where that's coming from right now because we've got the same problems that we do in midfield with guys coming back from injury or coming, trying to play their way back into form that we do pretty much everywhere else. So I don't know where the answers are, but I also don't get paid what Ange does. Like I don't get paid to do the job he does. And, I, and I'm happy to let him do it. And I'm happy to let him talk at the press conference and, you know, I'm happy to praise new dad all, all, all we want to, because he's, he's given us every reason to thus far. Yeah. And I think the thing that you did hit on there is like, uh, and, and one of the things that I appreciate so much about Ange and, and so I, that I also, which, which also gives me like a lot of cause for concern about some of the people that are, that are trying to justify that he, he's a fraud or whatever is like everything that happens on that pitch, he takes responsibility for, right? Like, We've never come in after a game and had Ange go, the players suck, they're cowards, they have a loser's mentality, they don't have balls. Like, that. that's what the last four or five managers have said, like, across yep. the board, all of them. And, and with Ange, if something doesn't go to plan, it's, you know, I got to do a better job of getting my ideas across to the team. I thought X and Y were really good. Obviously, we didn't do Z very well. Like, like you know people want him to be like this weird like firebrand who throws people under the bus or or eat, or creates this sort of us against the world mentality the way like coaches like Mourinho did for the for the former and that Klopp does for the latter like that he's not that guy his his attitude is we just have to do our thing the way we do it, and we have to do it as best as we can do it. And then when it doesn't come off, he's like, it's me. It's it, it's not he's not going to pin it on VAR. He's not going to pin it on a, a massive global conspiracy against people whose heads are shaped like Legos. Like it's it's it is specifically about him and the way he's doing his job. And. I I just. That's not fraudulent behavior. Like if you were no. a fraud, you'd be talking about lemons and, you know, good and bad vibes, or you'd be talking about how wet or dry the field is like that's fraud behavior. Like this is this is actual responsibility taking like this is this is what a leader is supposed to do. So like I, I'm perfectly happy for him to run out there and, and do yeah. that after every vaguely marginal performance and it's just you know it's it's noted uh first time listener to our podcast reno wallabout was talking to me this week and he he pointed out that you know if our last 10 games of the season were like our first 10 games of the season we would all be talking about this a lot differently um you know we set such a high standard at the beginning of the year where we were getting a little bit lucky but you know play still playing really well that it's just like it's kind of fucked up a lot of people's ability to talk about this team and judge this yeah, team. Yeah, it's expectations. 
Yep. Yeah, and honestly, we and we talked about it on our show early in the season. Like this, those ten games really fucked up everybody's expectations. Like we're like, oh shit, we're good now. Um, this isn't just a rebuilding year. This is like we're gonna also win a trophy year. Yeah. Um, and and now we've kind of come back to earth a little bit, and you know, for, been forced back to earth more than anything by injuries, suspensions, all that sort of stuff. And now people are like, no, it's not working. We got to go back to the drawing board. It's like, come on, what are we, what are we doing here? The, the the point you made though, Brian, about about Ange and and taking responsibility. The other thing that he does a really good job of that our previous managers would never do is that he accepts that the players make mistakes, and he's okay with that. Especially when he's implementing this new system, and and all these players are new to him. Like, let's just be honest. He he can't. He comes in, and I remember a few weeks ago. I think it might have been the Everton match. Destiny Adogi just had a a pretty rough game where he was kind of responsible for for a couple of goals and just didn't really play all that well. And any other manager could have come in and just called him out for that. And he came in and said, no, he made a few mistakes, but he'll learn from them. And that's the kind of thing he accepts that these guys are fallible. They're human. It's something that we as fans, a lot of times, especially if you look on the Internet, we don't we don't allow for that. But he does. He's 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 a he's a human manager who knows that he's managing humans and a lot of our previous managers were not that they were robots who were frankly assholes and 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 treated the players as such and that's why none of them liked them um and it's nice to have a guy that is different it's but it is like i i guess if like if there were issues of concern coming out of this it's it's fine that we're doing some of this stuff this year <clears throat> given how new he is to the team and what we're dealing with and what we're competing for. But like there, I do think there are times where like we need to be able to figure out how just to like scratch out a result, like, you know, not for 90 minutes, but like, and, and, you know, I think the first wolves game might be a better example of this. And that was maybe not fair because everyone was so injured and whatever the hell was going on there. But, you know, I do think there is room for growth and I do think there is room for, um improvement but i think like you just look at sort of the basics of what we're doing and how we're doing it and who we're doing it with and it's just you know again Ange has room to grow Ange has things he can improve on but at the same time along with all of that you know it's I, I think it's 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 just almost uniformly positive in terms of how we're trending like i think like a good comparison you know because i think we're all talking you know like brian was saying we were all talking to ourselves to the possibilities early in the year but like you know, Spurs fans are being a little doom and gloom because we're not just blowing teams out of the water. You look at Villa right now. Like, I mean, which team would you rather be sort of going into the business end of the season? Maybe I'm going to eat those words. I feel better about Spurs than I would if I was a Villa fan. Um, you know, maybe I'm crazy for saying that, but I just think, I think we've got such good players and such good fundamentals and there's so so many things we're dealing with that aren't just like fundamental to our DNA. We're dealing with injuries. We're dealing with guys coming back. We're dealing with, you know, fucked up lineups. Like it's just, you know, sooner or later, I mean, maybe not. Cause like we thought we were, like you were saying earlier, Andrew, we thought we were going to have like the full Spurs lineup against wolves and whoops, that didn't happen. So maybe yeah. we won't, but you've got to figure it. These things are going to even out sooner or later. Yeah, Absolutely. and to your point, you know, we we've scored the same number of goals as Villa this year. Like we're right on par with, you know, all these teams around us. Like to be in this mix for not just Europe, but to be in the mix for Champions League 
at what you're calling the business end of the season and knowing that this team from what we saw this past week can still get better with health. Like I, I still think that's it's, it's looking up. I mean, I know we're all, this is not, this is not intended to be a doom and gloom episode of Wheeler dealer radio, yeah, but it's like a Wheeler dealer radio, it's, all it's a Wheeler dealer radio episode. episode so we're going to talk <laughs> about a, 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 a heartbreaking two one defeat, but it's like, I don't know, man, I still feel pretty positive about where all this is going. Any loss that we've had this season, I've gone on our pod and just been like, well, okay. Like I, I haven't really, there's been no reason to stomp my feet or pound my fist about any real result this year because we we got an expectation set in the long run. Yeah, honestly, and it's funny because given the injuries we were dealing with, I think you could wave, hand wave it away. Like the first Wolves loss, I, f- I feel like was much more of a like, like I was much madder about that result because even with well, all it was because it came. I feel like it came, those two goals came in stoppage time. Like that's that's always going to be heartbreaking. Like, we approached that match in a way, even accounting for all the injuries. I thought was very like. Like, I mean, it's funny because we talk about like, oh, well, sometimes he's got to compromise his principles. Well, that felt like the match where we were compromising our principles. We started Eric Dyer. It wasn't that that wasn't all of it. We played a very cagey defensive match. And, you know, we almost got away with it. We didn't. We super didn't. But like that was, you know, maybe the counterpoint to like, oh, well, sometimes you just got to like win a game. Well, that's what we tried to do in that first Wolves match and it didn't work. So. Um, we have one or two quick questions before we go, I say in a very smooth transition. Um, Brian, this one's for you. Um, this comes from Rob Dowster, uh, as he takes a break from tweeting about UConn. He wants to know, uh, Klopp didn't contend for the title until his four season at Liverpool. Arteta didn't contend for this title until his four season at Arsenal. If we're at the end of year three with big Ange and Spurs trending towards another fourth place finish without challenging, uh, will you be doing more or less cocaine than Lawrence Taylor at his prime? I was like, where, how is this going to get turned back into a cocaine question? Um, uh, wait, 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 wait. What are you talking about? We never talk about you and cocaine. No, it's, uh, you know, if, God forbid anyone from the Florida bar ever listens to this podcast. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, um, yeah, um, Lawrence Taylor and his prime. I don't know that that's possible. I mean, I mean, you're I, a big dude. You're not. That I am. Big, I'm a pretty big guy, but I don't know that I'm Lawrence Taylor big, and I'm also not an athlete. Um, and, and that's the thing about that is like at a certain level, you have to have uh, a highly honed system. Uh, you know, if you're if you're uh, like you are an athlete, if that's how much you're doing on the end of the day, is you're you know you should have a name, image, and likeness deal, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and uh, yeah, we've probably spent way too much time on this question already. But uh, the answer for me is no. Is you know I'm too old now to shake to be doing that. Do you think? Are you going to be dealing with it in unhealthy ways if we're not challenging for a title by year four? Um, uh, in unhealthy ways. I already have a podcast, so I think I don't. What's more unhealthy? Um, no, I I think. It would be frustrating uh, to to be in year three and to not have like a trophy or a title to or even like a, a moment where you're close, like you lose the Champions League final or, you know, whatever you you lose an FA Cup final. Um, it would be frustrating to be at that point and not have something. And it would seem a little bit like kind of an indictment of the process. Um, but. 
I'm not gonna get rid of new dad. Like, why would I be sad? I mean, he's he's here. It's gonna be. He'll he'll tell us it's gonna be okay, and I trust him. Spurs are in such a weird position with stuff like this, where it's like. I mean, I think it's still broadly true that if Spurs are anywhere near a title contention, like we need a lot to go right, and we've had a lot go right this year. Chelsea's are awful. Um, Newcastle's awful. United's awful. I mean, now some of these are things I think you can take to the bank um for at least a while but you know you need a lot to go right and i think one of the interesting things with spurs that i think we're adjusting to is you know we have a new transfer policy you can see the way we're approaching transfers we have a new manager we have um but i think the thing that's really throwing this off is like we are making a lot more money than we used to make and i don't think we as fans and we as a club have fully adjusted to that like that's one of the things I think is going to be really interesting about this transfer window. Like Spurs have had, I mean, barring a really epic collapse, a just much better season than I think anyone anticipated under Ange in his first year. And I think there's a real opportunity to spend some money this off season and really reinforce this team in a way that, you know, I'm not sure. I, like, I don't even know what we're capable of, but I think it's more than we think we are. Um, in terms of like the kind of free agents we could maybe be involved in and, or free agents, I'm talking like an American sports fan, but you know, like the, the kinds of guys we could go after, like I, like I'm trained to think a guy like Nico Williams, just, we're not going to compete with a club like Arsenal or, you know, the other clubs that could be involved with him. Like, I'm not so sure that's the case anymore, especially if like Newcastle's living with FFP sanction if lots of clubs or if ffp is real and lots of clubs can't spend their way around it you know like i don't know man like we're i mean we're we're probably the most likely club for the chelsea captain to end up at like i don't know i think i don't know what to expect at Ange's third year because you could also tell me newcastle's gonna get their shit together united's gonna get their shit together you know in which case if they find a way to like put all that money to you spurs are in real trouble but you know i have no idea what to think. I thought when Arsenal bought Ozil that it was totally over for us. I thought when Liverpool bought um, Sahin that we were in deep, deep trouble. And neither of those things turned out to be true in any um, in any way. So Nuri Sahin, he hasn't been talked about on any podcast. In yeah, well, I'm years. sure there's some Dortmund. I'm sure there's some sad boy Dortmund podcast that's talking about him. But um, God. you know, like I don't know. All these things that seem definitive in the short term usually aren't. So, but I, I do think Spurs are entering a tax bracket that we haven't seen them really flex their financial muscles yet. And I know there's a lot of skepticism about Levy, but I don't know. I, everything's gone so well this year. I'm not, I'm not uncertain that we aren't going to spend big and I don't know what that looks like. So I have no fucking idea what to expect in year three of Ange, but it can't be any worse than the last couple of years have been. I think this January was very telling. Like, look at what we did this January, and that's January, you know, which is notoriously just not a window where teams go splash the cash. But we brought in players this January that are expected to be part of the future. And I'm not just talking about, you know, bringing in Timo Werner and, and Rowdy Dragashin. Like, we brought in youth. We're bringing in more young players. Um, we've become a, We've become a little bit of a destination and i say that like with that hesitation in my voice for a reason because it is to your point greg it's not something that we as spurs fans are fully capable of grasping quite yet 
but I think that this is turning it. And, and not only that, but when you play a system like Ange plays, players see that and want to be a part of that. Like it's not going and playing Mourinho ball where we're going to low block encounter. That's not fun for players. Players want to come play this style of football. And I think that when you match that with, like you said, the, the cash coffers that, that we're going to have in the coming years, like this summer might be really, really fun. And I'm not trying to like skip ahead. I know that's, that, that's what the question was, but like this season is still really important. It's still really important to at least get Europe, even if it's not champions league, I think it would be really cool for this team to be in the Europa league next year, even if it comes to that. And we wouldn't have said that two years ago. Like we would have been pissed off about that, but knowing that this is a project and knowing that this is building on something, like I think it would be really cool for us to go out and get some depth and go for something next year and well, and beyond it's worth pointing out after the champions league final we went and got two of the most coveted young players in europe um it was a total fucking catastrophe um so we kind of forget about it yeah but who like, are those two young players greg can you yeah, tell us more about uh, them you know um one of them is a guy who's hurt except when argentina plays well i guess even when argentina plays who's still on our roster and the other guy i think went up a tube after he ate a blueberry at willy wonka's chocolate factory so um, which I guess leads to Turkey. Um, but you know, I guess the question I would have with Spurs is like, you know, are, do we have the wherewithal or the ability to go get someone? And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying we have to get him, but a guy like Nico Williams, who I feel like a lot of big European English and European clubs are kind of sniffing around. Um, you know, we, we actually kind of did that once, um, with those two guys. So I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm just curious to see what we could do. Cause like Andrew said, like Ange has a system, like you don't have to convince them, you know, like, Oh, well you got to figure out how to work under Antonio Conte or Jose Mourinho. It's like, yeah, Ange is going to be like, you know, cocaine football where you're attacking all the time. You're going to have fun doing it. Um, you know, and we have, if you're talking to a Nico Jackson or a Connor Gallagher, it's like, it's not like you're blocked. Like, or you're not that blocked. Um, not like, you know, like Nico Williams is probably going to have a little bit of trouble getting in that Arsenal team. Um, Connor Gallagher isn't linked with Arsenal, but you know, like you know, us or Newcastle, which team would you rather sort of go to right now? I don't know. Um, you know, it's it, it it's it's a very interesting opportunity we have this summer, and I'm really curious because we've really sort of gone at it with these younger players, but I'm curious if we're willing to do the same with sort of more established names, more expensive names, because I'm really convinced that if Spurs go get, you know, someone who is the guy or a guy, I guess would be a way, better way to put it. But, you know, if we're really willing to do something with our first 11, I think this is a team that's really primed to explode because, you know, you stick a, a really good passer, a really aggressive attacker into that first 11. And I think that we could really click in a way that, even those of us who watch the team aren't fully prepared to watch. Like, I think it could be really positive, really impressive, um, very quickly, honestly. Um, you know, Nico Williams is who I'm sort of focused on because I like watching La Liga, but, um, you know, there's other names out there and it's just, I'm curious if Spurs really go after one of them this summer because it could be really fun if we do. Or they could be fat in Turkey in three years. So, you know, either or. It's always a toss up. 
generational superstar or overweight and playing on the bench for Galatasaray. Really, when you're evaluating transfers, you have to look at how much do they like kebabs. And, you know, have them do it on a scale of 1 to 10. You know, the the NFL has, you know, all this weird testing that they're doing at their draft combine. And Ange is a combine guy. So basically what our psychological profile should be is rate these food items on a scale of one to 10. And if he rates like kebabs, fried chicken, um, cakes, you know, those sorts of things higher than he's rating like bananas and ice water, then maybe we need to have some questions. Yeah, maybe Brian, just put some out the for the physical. Just yeah, put, put, out, put out a bunch of kebab for the physical and and, if, and see if, if he takes if one. Cer- see if he's like, oh, yeah, this is exactly certain, what I needed after some some hard running. Is a, if a certain out. amount is gone by the end of the physical, you know that that's a fail. There you go. That's a great yeah, idea. Did, did, did he take the chicken breast or did he take the donor kebab? Like which which was yeah which was he into? <laughs> Brian and I would fail this test uh, if our weekends together have been any indication, but. Um, well, I don't want either again, of you in midfield. Not now. a professional. I'll tell, I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Trust me. You definitely don't want either of us in midfield. <laughs> I mean, as as long as we're gonna play like a set block where I don't have to move more than three or four feet in one direction, we're great. So if you're ready for Nebraska football, then, yeah, yeah, no, okay, I, right. I can definitely handle that. <laughs> well, on that note, I think it's time to wrap this thing up. Uh, Andrew, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me at a Stetka on pretty much all the socials at this point. We're we're on Twitter, Blue Sky, Instagram, all those places. And you can follow our podcast at Tottenham Depot uh, in all the same places. Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, YouTube, all, all, all the spots. Brian, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me, as always, on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079 and on Blue Sky, just plain old Skipjack. And don't forget to follow our podcast on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. For Andrew, for Brian, for Ben, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs, and enjoy your lunch.